This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Many of us think that avoiding conflict at all costs, particularly in the workplace, is a good thing. But can conflict in the office actually produce positive results? Our next guest says yes, because disagreements amongst coworkers is natural, and avoiding it can actually create a business where dysfunction reigns. Leanne Davey is author of the book, The Good Fight. Use productive conflict to get your team and organization back on track. And a pleasure to have her joining us right now. Leanne, thank you for your time today. Oh, pleasure to be here, Dan. Thanks. Thank you. You know, many people might read the the title of the book and come up with the, the theory of you actually want conflict in the office. So how do you tell them to respond to those? Yeah, so so what I would tell them is you have conflict in the office because organizations create conflict when we have to make trade-offs between different priorities or when we have to allocate workload or decide who gets a promotion. So I'll tell you, there is conflict there. The question is whether it's uh, above board and healthy and, and uh, in a way you can get through it or whether it's passive-aggressive, and kind of burning like a root fire. So it's there. The question is just, are you dealing with it effectively? So then how do you qualify a good fight in the office? Yeah, great question. So I look at it at three levels. So at the organization's level, it's a good fight if it helps you come to, if it helps you get through it and get to an outcome that's good for the business. At the level of the team, it's a good fight if it strengthens trust among the team members instead of eroding it. And then personally, it's a good fight if at the end of the day you go home and you look yourself in the mirror and you're proud of yourself. Those things make a good fight. And and that's a unique part to it uh, about the going home piece because you do talk about the fact that that there are components of of being involved in a good fight or having a good fight in the office that you can actually carry over to your personal life. Yeah, I had fun with that because you see those car commercials where in fine print it says, don't try this at home. And (laughs) and I actually put a chapter at the end of this book called Try This at Home. These things all work really, really well. Actually, yesterday, just yesterday, I was with a a bunch of insurance executives and and I was helping them in how to have a better fight with each other. And one of them needed a lot of help. And at the end, he said, I guess that's why I'm divorced. And, and, you know, we kind of (laughs) laughed uncomfortably because the answer is yes. It probably is. I was going to ask you, do you have to preface that that specific instance by sending an email to the spouse ahead of it saying this may pop up, you know, in the in the near term? <laughs> Absolutely. Warning world. Right. You know, here he comes now armed with better conflict skills. Right. We're joined by Leanne Davey, who is the author of the book, The Good Fight. Use productive conflict to get your team and organization back on track. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at bizradio, B-I-Z radio 132. Or you can use my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I guess it's a unique time to, to discuss a topic like this because we see more and more companies, Leanne, wanting to put teams together. They look Look at how the mixture of employees is within the company. They, they really are thinking about a lot of these components to make the workplace better. Yeah, so I, I guess the question is, we, we see some uh, organizations that put teams together to get healthy tension and to make the business decisions better. But we see other teams trying to put teams together to keep things harmonious because they're sort of over... Um, over enamored with this idea of harmony and engagement. And so I would say 
where people are being more deliberate about setting up the teams, the thing I'm worried about is the ones that are setting up the teams to create a bunch of bobbleheads that all kind of go along with one another. Right. That's really dangerous. Right, because the the, the the yes person in the office, that's kind of been an idea in uh, in offices for a long time that, that has been frowned upon a little bit. Yeah, it, it has. But now if you go to one of those airport bookstores and look at all the book titles, you see that uh, the most common word in the titles is uh, happiness. So the, right. the books that are now kind of selling around the workplace are all this sort of false sense that our workplaces can be kind of uniformly happy. So we're beyond um, our concerns about the yes man, and, and we're into this time where suddenly conflict is a dirty word. And that's a a big concern for a lot of businesses. And so if you think about a a team, a cross-functional team of people, I always have to tell people tension and conflict isn't the antithesis of teamwork. It's the purpose of it. Right. (laughs) You know, if we didn't need different perspectives, we wouldn't need a team. So I say conflict is a feature, not a bug on teams. And I think most organizations these days don't recognize that. There there is an element within some companies, I would imagine, that when you have conflict and and you have uh, not enough good conflict to be able to clear the air when needed and to, and to be able to move on, that it ends up having a an impact potentially on the bottom line of the company. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have unhealthy conflict, it's going to uh, really stifle innovation because people are going to stay in their silos, stay where it's safe, right? I'm not going to expose my ideas and myself to criticism. So you lose a lot of innovation. The other thing you lose is if if people begin to fear conflict and, and think it's an unhealthy thing, they don't you know spot the risks in your plans or right. assumptions in your plans, and you can find your, your organization starts to build up some concerns and, and risks because you aren't good at conflict. So, yeah, if, if you've had unhealthy conflict, uh, you put yourself at significant risk because then people just avoid all conflict and you lose the good with the bad. We're talking about the book, The Good Fight, Use Productive Conflict to Get Your Team and Organization Back on Track. Uh, Leanne Davey is the author of the book. Joining us on the phone, you're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Now, one of the reasons you say that that we end up having these issues in the workplace is because we, as people, are conflict-averse, and, and that ends up being a, a significant kind of lead into a lot of these issues. Yeah, absolutely. So as humans, we're biologically wired to try and get along with the people in our in-group, right? So you didn't get voted out of the cave and eaten by the saber-toothed tiger. So that that made a lot of sense. So we're already born slightly conflict-averse. But then we're socialized by by the grandma who says, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, and yeah. told by our teachers to mind our own business. And there's just all these messages that come through all the time that make us conflict-averse and, and don't help us to understand that conflict is definitely a natural part of healthy relationships. But if you think of the Me Too movement and things like that, conflict is also a really important defense against unhealthy relationships. If you don't know how to advocate, if you don't realize that some things are worth fighting for, then, you know, you put everybody at risk. So then it's one thing to be able to deal with a conflict with another coworker in the office. How do you, does it change at all when you're talking about dealing with a manager or, or your boss? A little bit. There are some tricks to speaking truth to power. So one would be make sure you tie your point to something that matters for the business. So it's not just that, you know, I'm cranky and don't like this. 
It's, you know, here's what we're trying to achieve this quarter. And here's how, if it continues this way, I'm not going to be able to achieve that for our customers or for the expense line. Or So tying it more to the business performance is key with a boss. Um, another thing that's key with a boss is to use uh, language that's more questioning and more open. So don't go in making definitive statements and standing in your power poses when you're talking to your boss. Right. Instead, you want to say, you know, what if or um, you know, would it be possible if use questions so that there's room for you to pivot if the boss reacts poorly? Um, those kinds of things are, are little techniques that I go into in the book about how to um, adapt slightly. But but in general, it's the same kind of thing. You want to make sure you're listening to the uh, to the pressures on your boss and what they're trying to communicate with you. That you're you're really validating and showing them that you're hearing them and you get it. Those sorts of things are, are important in any conflict. Just as a little little twist of being a little bit more strategic when you're speaking truth to power. So it sounds like that that in many cases, the conflict between coworker and coworker and coworker and boss are very similar. It, it, there are just some tweaks that, that need to occur along in the process. Yeah, absolutely. Because essentially, if you're in a fight with your boss, it's because you're not meeting her needs at some level, which is, you know, she's feeling a ton of pressure to, to deliver the results or, or whatever. And, and something in it makes her feel like you're not hearing her, you're not delivering for her, you're not reliable, you're not capable. That's what creates a conflict with your boss. Um, so it's, it's still very human. It's still your boss feeling vulnerable because yeah. of your performance. And, and if we could remember that the humans that are having these conflicts. The problem in most workplace conflict is we go on and on and on fighting about the facts. And and conflict in the workplace is never about facts. If it was just about facts, we'd be problem solving. It's about you know, our emotions, but more importantly, it's about what we value and what, uh, you know, how we experience things and what matters to us. And and that's what's underneath it all. So if you can realize your boss is a human, as vulnerable as you, (laughs) as worried as you, um, then you'd realize that how you have conflict with your boss just as much needs to take into account how they're experiencing the situation as it does, you know, what the right answer is. That's a unique, uh, unique concept and, and thought process there, because I would venture, I guess, to say most employees don't uh, or very rarely see their boss a- as having a, you know, a side that that, that has issues that, ha- you know, that that has some conflict in it. Yeah, exactly. They they just don't even relate to them as humans. I think when you're starting to get into an uncomfortable situation with your boss, take a moment to say, what are his pressures, right? What's his boss harping on him for? Right. Um, what's he worried about? What would be the worst case scenario for him? And, and how can I behave in a way that's going to minimize those fears and increase his confidence in me? Those are the sorts of things that are going to get you to the other side of a conflict with your boss. But continually digging in and, and feeling wounded and feeling the victim and always thinking about your experience of the situation is going to leave you stuck and, and actually um, have you come off as a as a less and less um, reliable person for your boss. And that's the last thing you want. Are there times where it's probably not good to, to deal with the conflict, like maybe to take some time away and, and then let the, let the situation calm down? Or for the most part, can you work through almost every situation depending on the, the, the dynamic? Yeah, you can work through many, many, many more of them than you think. So one of the key things is, you know, we, we, 
try and back away or put off, postpone a lot of these things because we fear that things are going to get too emotional. And I would say our fear of emotions in the workplace is too high. So again, if we go back to this idea that we're actually humans, at least until we're all replaced by bots, we're, we're humans in the workplace. Yeah. And so emotions are going to happen. So if if you fear, you know, I'm going to get upset or I'm going to get angry or those sorts of things, um, you know, you may want to take a break for a few minutes. But even if a few tears start to roll down your face, um, you know, what you can do is say, you know, look, you can see how important this is to me, right, to frame it as you know, this is because I'm all in. This is because I'm engaged, right? right, right. So, or even if anger, you know, if I start bat- pounding the table and getting angry, just the, the chance then to say, you know, I get carried away with this because uh, it matters so much to me or because I'm so invested in it. So even if there's emotions that come to the fore, the other two, you know, kind of work through them and get to the other side. If on the other hand, you know, tears start to well in your eyes and you leave the room and well, then you have that awkward, horrible moment where you have to come back later, right? Yeah. Being like, sorry, you know, better to just say in the moment, yep, I'm emotional because this matters and I care and I'm all in um, and, and keep going. I'll, you know, I'll be fine. Those sorts of things. So, you know, even the risk that we'll get emotional is not a reason to avoid a conflict. You know, one of the good reasons to avoid a conflict is that it's really going to be something that is not right in the moment. If your team is dealing with a crisis, it's not the time to be talking about, well, if we'd had better planning, right? Like, right. No, not the time, right? Get out of the way, get the job done, have each other's backs, right? And and then come back at another time where it's like, okay, what do we learn from that? What do we want to do differently next time? So there are moments where you need to pick your battles or, or pick your time. Um, but but those ones that we do all the time where we go, let's take this offline because we yeah. think that it's getting too emotional or, right. or it could get uncomfortable. Yeah. Those are bad reasons to postpone a conflict. Well, what about a situation where you would have two people that maybe have very different kind of priorities in the workplace and they have a level of conflict? So, uh, again, if we go back to this idea that uh, conflict and tension are a feature, not a bug, I would say that's a good thing. So if you're sitting at that table and you can see that they're pulling on either ends of a a rope, um, it's a great situation where you can stop minding your own business and actually say, hey, what I'm hearing here is – you know, you're coming at this from the sales perspective, which is let's get as much out the door in this month as we possibly can. And you're coming at it from the supply chain perspective. And you're worried about, you know, making sure we don't have to, you know, leave a bunch of stuff in the warehouse or, okay, those things both seem really valid. What are our options for, you know, getting the right amount of stuff out the door without backlogging stuff in the inventory? You know, so if you're somebody watching those kinds of tensions, what's happening is, the two people stuck in that tug of war are interpreting it as as friction between them as people. Like you're a jerk, you know. What do you mean you won't let me hit my sales numbers or right. vice versa? Right. Um, and if you can say, if you can frame it in a way that says, look, both of these things are true and both of these things are important. Um, how are we going to solve for for this if if we got to deal with both of these things? You as this third person now, instead of a tug of war dynamic, you you create this triangle <laughs> where there's a little bit more space to say, oh, this isn't actually a fight. These are two tensions that, you know, the sales and operations tension will be there till the end of time. And it better be there. It's 
good for our businesses. Um, and so if you can frame it more as, you know, this is a good tension and we just got to figure out this guys, this isn't a fight. This is actually just a problem. We got to solve. We got to optimize here. So you can do a lot of good when there's a fight on your team. That's, you know, seeming a bit like those old Miller light ads where you're fighting about whether it's taste great or less filling. Right. You say, Hang on guys. You know, it can be both at the same time. And, and then, you know, what do we do with that? We're joined by Leanne Davey, who is the author of the book, The Good Fight, Use Productive Conflict to Get Your Team and Organization Back on Track. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Dan Loney in our studios here in Philadelphia. But there are a variety of different issues that obviously will pop up over the course of your time working there. But if you are the new person in the office and you're either trying to kind of fit into the organization or if you're somebody that's established there and you are working with a new person, how do you kind of bridge that gap as well? So new people get to, you know, they get that free pass for a while to ask those awesome naive questions, which aren't always quite so naive. Um, and that can be really helpful. So because when you come in as a new person, um, you, you have that moment where you can be curious, where you don't know, where you don't know the baggage, right? right? All those sorts of things. You haven't yeah. been in on the gossip yet. Yeah. Um, so I would encourage people who are new to stick to questions, great questions, um, as opposed to making statements. So nobody likes that guy who's like, in my past job, right? And, and tells you all the time about how it was so much better. So instead, just say, okay, you know, I'm surprised to hear you say that. Can you give me some of the context for why we approach it that way? Um, that's a great question that may may actually uh, highlight some assumptions or just we do it that way because we've always done it that way. But it's going to do it in a more gentle way. So you're going to, as a new person, use questions to draw people's attention to, to different spots. Um, as, the, as the person who's onboarding a new person, helping them understand some of those dynamics, helping them understand uh, what I call the hidden organization chart. So, you know, this is what it's on the chart, but here's who you really need to know. Right. Here are some of the stakeholders. Um, here, here are the folks where you know they seem scary, but they're not. Go make friends with them. Or here are the people that don't seem scary, but they are. <laughs> you know, here's how to kind of get on the right side of them, or those kinds of things. It can be really helpful to help the new person to navigate some of those things. How do you think that then all of kind of this uh, the division and discourse that we've been having in our culture over the last few years? Uh, has played into the dynamics of, of trying to deal with some of these issues in the office as well. Yeah, I think it really has. So, so we are in this very uh, unpleasant time where we're not actually having conflict. We're uh, staying in our own uh, echo chambers, telling ourselves how smart we are and how right we are, but we're not engaging with others. So there's no connection. There's no line of communication between different camps. And, and if that's what's going on, uh, you know, on your Facebook feed, if that's what's happening when you're you know, uh, tailgating, and those are the kinds of conversations, it just becomes natural that that carries over to the office, that we have this point in time where we're not talking to one another, we're, we're pulling apart and just staying with the people who think like we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's an incredibly negative thing. And, you know, it's one thing for the country. It's, it's another thing if, if it's going to stall your productivity or your growth as a company and make it a kind of a miserable place to go to work every day. So, you know, fight that urge, resist the urge to kind of stay only with people who think like you do right. and find places to seek out the people who think differently and try and learn what, what makes them think differently. What's 
driving that? How is their perspective different than mine? How is the value they're adding different than mine? And, you know, and how is the tension they're putting on my ideas healthy and good and needed if we're going to come to the best answer? It's challenging for everybody within the company, but in terms of kind of the structure of the company, how much is the conflict different when you're t- when you continue to move up the chain? Like maybe it will be one level from employee to middle manager, but obviously it will be something totally different from mid manager to somebody in the C-suite. Yeah, the place where I see the biggest jump is, um, you know, managers, it's pretty good because you're mostly dealing with stuff with your own team where you have relationships, you have trust. It's that middle management layer where for the first time to be successful, you start counting on people in other departments. That's where it gets painful. Right. (laughs) That's where, and, and I find people tend to ask me more questions about how to deal with their peers in other departments than they do about their boss. There's a relationship with their boss. They're, they figure out how to, you know, kind of move through uncomfortable conversations delicately, but they get there. But how to deal with their peers? And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that we, we kind of know how to operate in a, in a situation where we understand the power. Um, you know, and when we're talking to our employees, we know we have power and we're talking to our boss, we know they have power and it's all pretty clear and we've learned over the years how to deal with that. But all of a sudden we're in these matrix organizations or situations where we're dependent on one another, but, you know, I'm not their boss, they're not mine, we don't know who's in control. And we're terrible at dealing with those situations where we need influence because that's where we actually have to have those good fights to get to a resolution. So middle managers are the people I have a ton of empathy for. Um, and, and, you know, we do see some of that challenge rising right up into the C-suite. There are a couple of tools that, that you suggest in the book, and I wanted to touch on them uh, before uh, the end of our time here. Uh, first is the U-tool. Can you go into explaining what it is and, and how it is an important factor in dealing with this good conflict? Yeah, so the U-Tool is about neutralizing conflict before it even happens. So, you know, so much of our work in organizations on conflict has been about to help has been about training people how to deal with a conflict in the moment. And, you know, we have all these difficult and fierce conversation skills, but we're not using them because, you know, we don't like conflict and we have all those voices in our head from our grandmother telling us that we shouldn't. So the U tool actually helps you neutralize, avoid conflict in the first place. And it comes on this basic idea that the number one reason we get into conflict is because we disappoint one another. That's because we we didn't understand the expectation up front. It wasn't clear. And the busier managers get and the more frenetic our workplaces become, Mm -hmm. the more we shortchange those conversations up front about here's what good looks like. Here's the context. Here's what I need you to do. So the U tool is this great tool you can use with your team. And I provide all the instructions in the book about how to take your team through it to clarify expectations. Here's what I need to give to you to set you up for success. Here's what good work looks like. Here's right. what we expect a manager to add in, in reviewing work. Here's the stuff we need to escalate and, and we need to, you know, have that no surprises idea for, for management. So it takes you through this whole process so that if you know what's expected of you, it's much less likely anybody's going to disappoint one another. And then it's much less likely that we're going to get into conflict. The other one is the TARP. Yeah, so the TARP is reframing that tug of war. It's the tool that goes with this idea that um, that tension is a feature, not a bug. So it's a tool and a process that allows you to go right around the table, defining how each person's pulling on a different rope 
uh, what that looks like in terms of what they're focused on and who their stakeholders are. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to normalize conflict. So instead of me thinking that, that you know, everyone else is a jerk and they're, you know, trying to get me down, that instead I now understand, no, they're living up to their obligation. And that's the tension they're going to put on every every conversation. And as soon as we frame this, we normalize it as, oh, this is productive and healthy tension instead of interpersonal friction, then we get much more comfortable having the good fight. You, you talk at, at the end of the book about a variety of habits, and one of the interesting ones is it, it involves humor and, and also involves code words as well. Yeah, I love code words. So I had, I'll tell you one, I had a CEO who was a bit of a micromanager, and he loved to use the Russell Crowe film Gladiator at all his leadership <laughs> retreats. And the scene where Russell Crowe rides down off the hill and jumps off his horse and stops starts chopping off people's heads right and this was just such a perfect metaphor for how he as the leader comes down off the ridge all the time and starts you know micromanaging so one day as he was uh months later he was into this situation and he's micromanaging a a a marketing manager about four layers below him in the organization and one of his teammates leans over and says get back on the horse which is just a funny way of saying dude you're micromanaging but when you use humor and code words the reaction in the moment, what he did is he laughed, he smiled because he knew exactly what he was doing. And then he was able to just say, you know what, you know more about this than me. I trust you. And so when we can do that with one another, have funny language or code words, um, it diffuses the emotion around these sorts of things and allows us to kind of move through it with, with a smile on our face instead of you know, getting angry or annoyed or feeling hurt. That's, uh, that uh, gentleman could also have used Mel Gibson's William Wallace in Braveheart as well oh, if he wanted yes. to do that, too. He could have gone that way. Although he's a, he's an Englishman, so yeah. Oh yeah, so he wouldn't he wouldn't have liked that. No, he would not have. Uh, Leanne, thanks very much for your time today. It's a great book and and a great learning tool for a lot of people. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks, Dan. All the best. Leanne Davey, again, the book is The Good Fight. Uh, Use productive conflict to get your team and organization back on track. Pleasure to have her joining us on the show right now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.